you can't control how you drink or how you use drugs, you run the risk of ruining the memories of everything in your life that you're supposed to be celebrating and wetting the baby's head, ruined, you know, birthdays, ruined, family occasions, ruined, holidays, ruined. Truth of the matter is, if like me, you didn't drink really in the week, Monday to Friday, or you did if there was an occasion, but you could go Monday to Friday without drinking or sniffing. But once you started on the weekend, you couldn't fucking stop until it was all done and dusted and you were a fucking mess uh, and you were living your life even fucked off your nut or hung over. Mm. You're an addict. Lads, listen, if you're suffering with mental health issues, if you're down, depressed and your life's falling to shit and your marriage is fucked and your missus don't want to shag you no more and is always arguing with you and your kids are moaning at you and you're using drinking drugs, it might be the issue. Oh, I was going to fucking top myself, I guess. And then I was like... Sorry, I shouldn't say that word, but, um, and then, yeah, and, and, and that was it. That was like a massive rock bottom. And I just drank and used solidly for, for ages. And I look back on it now and it's such a painful memory. I managed to pull myself out of a real dark place. I spoke to the Samaritans one night when I was actually suicidal. Had you planned how you was going to do it? Yeah. Yeah. I was. So you was that serious? And it's them videos now that I look back on and I think, yeah, they were dangerous and they were maybe encouraging the wrong type of behavior. I can take responsibility for that. Sausage, what do you want to do tonight? How many people come up to you and like that geezer down the alley that was always offering to suck your dick? <laughs> <laughs> geezer? Ah, oh, mate, yeah. Thank you for coming listen, on. Listen, listen, oh, listen, not those you don't realise what he's like on the on the WhatsApp messages. Once he once he got in his idea, he wanted me on here. Uh, he was uh, coming on. He was. I was coming on. We spoke a couple of times and uh, yeah, mate, I, I, I fell in love with your enthusiasm and your passion for life, mate, straight away. So I look forward to, I've been looking forward to coming and talking to you. Mate, we fell in love with each other. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> and it's funny that the that we're both on a similar journey. You're you're very much like you you've documented your journey and you've made yeah. a big statement about sobriety. And it was only today doing a little bit of research because I don't want to rehash things that have been said too many times. Yeah. So I wanted to be careful in, in 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 where we went with this conversation. And it was only today I thought, well, how many how many days have I gone sober? Mm. And without realizing it. You've been inspiring me. Oh, thank you. And I know I'm a big character. Yeah. I know I'm a fucking ADHD madman. And I like to inspire other people. But everybody can be inspired by other people. And you haven't got to be the big boss, the big leader, the big inspiration. You can always, you can find inspiration from others, people that you never even realized. And subconsciously, because of that message that you keep pumping out daily, because your content now is sobriety, sobriety, your boxing, your running, your family life, your daughter's beautiful scenes thank you subconsciously mate that's inspiring me and oh, if that's brilliant. doing that to me and i feel like i'm a bit of a, a bit of a concrete wall i can only imagine what that's doing to people that really really need it because i didn't realize i needed that that motivation but it's, it's helping me so 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 thank you so you're 11 months sober yeah yeah how long until you hit the 12 month mark oh not long now man i've probably about uh Oh God, I'll have a look in a minute, but not not long. October, mid October, something like that. I'm I'm be a, a year. Thank fuck for that. We can have a beer. <laughs> no, <laughs> no man, no. Um, yeah, it's tough. It's tough. It, it, it's it's tough to. Well, I say it's tough. It's not tough anymore. I mean, to to me, my mindset is you know that's not meaning. That's a life I've left behind. Um, and uh, through talking about it, it just pulls out from my following people that are going through the suit. So you say I inspire you in my inbox all the time. There's geezers that are coming out mm. and talking to me that come on my podcast that are, are like, you know, I'm three years 
sober after this happened, after this happened. What, what worst things that happened to me, you know, drinking drugs caused this in my life and caused this. I lost everything. And I'm, it's easy for me to stay sober because mm. I've got a beautiful wife and two kids in a nice house. The lads that have lost their families out there that haven't been there to get sober before they've lost their families, their jobs, their businesses, their homes, them ones that have got sober after that, they fucking inspire me, man. So... Yeah, yeah, if they if they can come back from from ground zero, yeah. rock bottom. Although I can imagine when you when you when you did have your lowest point, because there there has to be a lowest point yeah. before you think right, I need to spring back up. Something's got to change. I've got to stop certain things I'm doing. Yeah. So it doesn't mean to say that your your rock bottom did, wasn't, wasn't did, as bad. Didn't feel yeah. the same as their rock bottom. Yeah, yeah. You were just in different places because you'd put yourself in a different zone. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. But still, uh, nonetheless, it's. <clears throat> It's a it's a tough old journey, mm. and you lose you lose a little bit of yourself because you identify as the party boy, mm. the life and soul. But you sort of need the drink and drugs to do that. This is a lot. I'm just this is like a bit of a blanket statement, yeah. but I know a lot of people like not just you that have uh, that have turned a corner and they yeah. want to be straight. They want to be sober because the, the the drink and drugs is just so detrimental to their family, their business, their work. They lose everything. Yeah. And uh, in order to change, you've got to lose a few things. So not only do you lose your habit, I think you lose a lot of friends yeah. too. So what did you, what, have you lost what? friends on yeah, the way? Yeah, man. Yeah, yeah, yeah. A complete lifestyle change. I tried to go sober the first time around. I tried to go sober and still live my life a similar way. Still see the same people. You know, you sit in a barber's chair long enough. You're going to get your fucking hair cut. That's the way I look at it. Do you know what I mean? I wouldn't know about that. Yeah, man. I was going to. I went, I realized, <laughs> as soon as I used that analogy, I thought, yeah. fuck. What the fuck would I know <laughs> yeah, about yeah. Barber's chair? Yeah, yeah. But, you know, but, but, but that, that, there's truth in that. The first time I went sober, I was still mixing with the same people, going to the same events, you know, uh, trying to go to the pub and, and, have, uh, and, and uh, with, with people that were still getting on the packet and all of that stuff and, um, and still being associated with that lifestyle, right? And and still in my mind being there. And I felt like I was missing out. I was in it, but I wasn't in it. I felt like I was missing out. And ultimately, I got bored of trying to have the other lifestyle when I was still living in that lifestyle. And that's what pulled me back into it. I pretended to myself, it managed by seeing other people that were still in it, it made me think that I didn't have a problem, that it was fine. And then, and then, the addiction tricked me back into it. And then it was fucking, it was 10 times worse when I went back because as soon as I went back to it, because I, I, when I went back after the first time I went sober, I thought I'll just go back for a few beers because it was coming up to Christmas. I'll just have, a, over Christmas, I'll have a couple of beers and I'll never do the packet again. And do you know what? I'm never going to get smashed, annihilated. I'm just going to enjoy a few drinks. And within a couple of days, I was getting smashed. And then within a couple of weeks, I was back on the packet. And then I knew that I couldn't control it. Mm. And I think that needs to happen, Joe. If you're an addict or, and you don't think you are, you know. And to me, an addict is just someone that's got a compulsion to drink. You know what I mean? When things go wrong or, you know, and they can't control that overwhelming compulsion. And once they start, like me, once I had one or two, mate, that's it. It was like, Beaver, Las Vegas. I was, I was going for it, swinging from the chandeliers. But not just to celebrate, if something went wrong, in my life, you know, it was my way of coping. And when I realized that I couldn't control it that first time round, after I'd come out of sobriety, I wanted to consume as much of it as I can because I knew I had to stop. And I knew everyone around me could see it as a problem. And it and it and I tried to stop and I couldn't and I got scared. And that's that's when I really realized that I had a problem and and, and my family had, had enough of it, my friends and you know, I ruined the problem, sorry to go on about it, but the problem for me and everyone out there that that drinks is if you can't control how you drink or how you use drugs, you run the risk of ruining the memories of everything in your life that you're supposed to be celebrating. Because we drink and use drugs when we celebrate, right? Mm. So weddings, like my wedding, 
there's certain parts of my wedding that are ruined. You know, the memory of and you know, the births of my children, wetting the baby's head, ruined. You know, birthdays, ruined. Family occasions, ruined. Holidays, ruined. Because I just fucking get off me nut and turn selfish and go wild. So if you're an addict and you can't control it, you run the risk of ruining those memories. And I'll never go back to that. You, you say you ruined it. Was there a couple of memories in specific that you ruined on your wedding? I just got too drunk, mate, and selfish, you know. If 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 when I'm drinking, I don't I didn't spend any time with my kids at my wedding, I see pictures of my kids and I'm like I look at them looking beautiful in their in their little bridesmaid's dress and I can't remember spending much time with them. I forgot to thank my best man in the best man speech because I was smashed. <laughs> was it like Dan was marrying Dan? Yeah, mate. Yeah, I was thought I was I was thought I was doing a stand up comedy set when I was doing my best man speech, but no one was laughing because I was just effing and blinding and drunk in front of the family and and then, you know, as the night went on and I got more excited there's parts that I, you know parts i can't remember i got smashed you know and um there's still lovely parts of the wedding but ultimately it's it's a big regret of mine it's painful and that's why it's so hard going sober because when you go sober for the like and you're really going sober mm. suddenly all these memories come back to you because you can't block them out by drinking that you're ashamed of you can't you can't get rid of the shame and guilt by drinking or sniffing so that's why it's so hard to go sober because you have to go through months and months of going, fucking hell, yeah, I've done that and I've done this and fucking hell. What does this person think? And it's like you're getting comfortable with yourself, who you really are. And who I really am ain't fucking great, man. Like, do you know what I mean? Some of it's amazing now, but who I was and who I was being wasn't great. So it was like I suddenly became the elephant in the room in my own life. I was like, fucking hell, I'm a bit of a twat. I was a bit of a twat and that's hard to sit with with my ego's fucking up here. Do you know what I mean? When you say you was a bit of a twat, what do you actually mean? But what did you do? Selfish, just selfish, just a selfish, you know, when I decided I was drinking, I didn't give a, I didn't really give a shit about my missus and the kids. I was like, look, look at the house, look at the car, look at the money. And I'm sure a lot of men out there, and I, I don't come on these things to try and paint myself in a certain light. I think it's important to be completely real because people out there that are struggling will relate to it and get get it. There's no point. Be be real. I don't mind being real about it. But when I was drinking and using drugs, I thought to myself, everyone else can fuck off. I deserve this. My life's stressful. I'm working hard. Right? But the problem was, when I was doing it, it was the weekends. It was the only time I had to spend with my family. Mm. So I was working my ass off and stressed during the week. And then I was getting on the smash at the weekend. What sort of life is that for my kids and, and my missus? So are you, are you a bad drunk? Uh, I just think I'm a selfish drunk. You know what I mean? I'm not the sort of guy that, that goes around starting fights and smashing things up and stuff like that. But, but do, do, do you interact with people or do you just want to be centre stage? Um, is there an exchange of value when you're having a drink with around the table with the family and friends? Do I'm a show off. I'm just a show off, mate. Yeah, it's all ego when I drink. It's not me. And I can see that now when I look back. It's it's like party time. It's my life. It's my time. I'm drinking. When I when I started using drugs, cocaine, it was the opposite. It fucking calmed me right down, brought me mm. into myself. I just wanted to go home and use like a addict. Do you know what I mean? I wanted to I didn't want to be around people when I was using. I wanted to just sniff. Yeah, see that the fact that you the fact that you use that terminology indicates there's an issue. You're not you're not saying I was cracking on or having a session. Yeah. Although a lot of people used the word sesh flippantly yeah. Yeah. to to disguise their use, but you yeah. use the word. That's because I'm use. proud. That's because I'm proud now. I'm proud. Um, I'm proud of um, myself for realizing my addiction, and I think there's a big stigma around using words like use or or addict or addiction or sobriety lads, men, you know, because our culture is drinking drugs. We don't want to associate that, associate that with words like using and stuff like mm. that because, you know, but the truth of the matter is 
if like me, you didn't drink really in the week, Monday to Friday, or you did if there was an occasion, but you could go Monday to Friday without drinking or sniffing. But once you started on the weekend, you couldn't fucking stop until it was all done and dusted and you were a fucking mess. Uh, and you were living your life, people fucked off your nut or hung over. Mm. You're an addict. You know, if you're using drink and drugs to cope with life, or if you're picking drink and drugs over spending time with your family, even though you know you shouldn't, and you tell yourself every time afterwards that you're not going to do it again, you're an addict. And that's my message that I do with my podcast, my sobriety podcast that I want to get out there is, lads, listen, if you're suffering with mental health issues, if you're down, depressed, and your life's falling to shit, and your marriage is fucked, and your missus don't want to shag you no more, and is always arguing with you, and your kids are moaning at you, and you're using drink and drugs, it might be the issue. Mm. Cut that out, start exercising, Give it four or five months and tell me how your life looks because we all think that we deserve it. And you also get people like, well, I'm going to have to include you in this, that hide it well because I would never, ever have thought watching you over the years that you had a habit. Yeah, I guess. You're still making content. You're still getting yeah. up. It looks like you're still actively working yeah, and yeah. providing. Yeah, I guess that's because I wasn't an addict in the true sense of the word. Do you know what I mean? We all think that an addict is someone that wakes up in the morning and has to sniff gear or wakes up in the morning, grabs, goes for a bottle of vodka or is on a park bench or in the gutter. I was just a seshed. I, I, I seshed every couple of weeks or every weekend. Do you know what I mean? There'd be people that are watching this that go, you didn't have a problem. But everything that was going wrong in my life, everything that was, I was potential. I mean, I nearly lost my, my wife, my kids, my house, my money, my business, everything that's more or less gone wrong in my life. I've either been drunk or hung over and, and it's, which has caused problems. When you, you say know? you nearly lost your wife, was you given an, an ultimatum at one stage in? Yeah, more than that, mate. I was out. I was, I was out of the house. It was, you know, it, for me. Kicked out. Yeah. The big, the big, the big, uh, big one for me was, you know, she'd had enough before because like, on the come downs and stuff like that, I was just a nightmare and we were arguing and everything like that. And she'd had enough before and, you know, sort of proved to her for her. I went, all right, I'll stop drinking and I'll go sober, you know, for her, you know, to prove that I didn't have a problem. I didn't know what she was going on about. I'm fine. So I went sober for like four or five months or whatever. And then I got bored and said, you know, I'm going to have a drink over Christmas. And she was a bit wary about it, but she was like, all right. And then it got worse, man. The rows, the problems, me going out, just being self. It just got worse again. And then we got to a stage where she'd had enough and, um, you know, kicked me out. And then I, you know, cause I'd been out all weekend or whatever. And then I, I, I was like, all right, I'll stop the packet, but I'm still going to drink. Cause tomorrow we're going to Marbella for my film premiere. So me and her were flying out to Marbella and I was like, I'll just drink. I won't get on it. And then we flew out to Marbella and the first thing I did was get on it. And then she flew back and that was it. She was like, you ain't coming home. I don't want to have nothing to do with it. It's over. Do you know what I mean? And we'd been married, what, four months, something mm. like that. Uh, and I stayed in Marbella, buried my head in the sand and got on it for four or five days. Like, ah, whatever, it's her. It ain't me telling the world that she's got a problem. Mm. That she only married me for me money. Now she's leaving me. And she's all, fucking boring. Yeah, all that stuff. <laughs> and, then, and then once everyone around me that was like, yeah, mate, let's go. It's your film premiere. Once all day disappeared and went home and I was like, fuck. I couldn't go home. Mm. That's when I realised. Yeah, yeah. That's when you. That's when you realise who your powers are as well. Everyone's happy, clinging on to you. You know, your dapper laughs at the mm. end of the day. Yeah, I'm with dapper. We're all partying together. We're all sessioning together, and then they all go home to their nice families. Yeah, yeah. And th and their wives or yeah. their fiancés, and you're left in a room staring at a wall, thinking, "Well, fucking, what's left for me?" Yeah. And I was embarrassed talking about this stuff at the beginning before I started my podcast because I thought everyone would think I'm a druggie or whatever, but I was. And so many lads out there are, 
they are and that's our culture and people don't think it's a problem but it can be especially if you've got a family with young kids it's important that people realize the the meaning of the word having a habit because people that go out on a Friday, finish on a Sunday, and then they're recovered by a Thursday, ready to go again on a Friday, they don't think they've got a habit. You've got a fucking habit. Yeah. I mean, that it's a, it's yeah. a fact. If you're I'll doing it regular, once a week, yeah. even once a fortnight, that's a habitual thing that you're doing. Yeah, yeah. It's a habit. Best way to find out if you've got an addiction is to try and stop doing it. See how long that lasts. Mm. Try and go one weekend without it. See how difficult that is. Then try and go two, and then do a month. And what you'll do is you'll go, all right, I'll do two. I've done three weekends. Do you know what? I deserve a sesh. Mm. You watch all the tricks your mind plays on you. I've earned it. You'll also pretend that someone is in desperate need of you. You don't really give a fuck about that yeah. person, but you're making an excuse. No, they, they need me. They need yeah. a drinking partner because their, yeah. their missus has left them. I'm going to go and be their rock. Yeah. Really, you're just going to go and become their each other's enabler. Mm. Yeah, it's crazy sitting here talking to you about it because, you know, I spent years making music, comedy, talking about having fun about the sesh it was ingrained in me and just like everything else that's going on in my life it become my content like my sobriety now has become my content and it feels weird talking about it out loud because for 20 years i didn't think it was a problem mm. i'm just like me i'm just having a sesh but, but i mean was it a problem at the start or did it just progressively yeah. become worse it's, i think it turned into a problem for me when my father died do you know what i mean trauma will do that yeah well because this is what i think it is and hopefully or not hopefully but sadly many people out there will relate to it is you drink drinking and using drugs it's fun right it's great fun you're doing it with your friends it makes you feel good and then when something bad happens to you you're like i don't want to feel bad i want to feel good so that's when it changed from me doing a little bit of gear and having a couple of drinks with my mates to fuck getting on it at home was when my father passed away i didn't want to be in this fucking world well, mm. i want to be off me nut do you know what i mean either off your nut or with him yeah exactly if it's yeah. anything like yeah and I, then, I get it yeah and then every time something bad happened and loads of bad shit happened around that time loads of bad the the, the more bad it got the more i used and the more i escaped oh yeah it's the one thing i used to notice about you was your relationship with your dad mm. i always look at that dynamic uh for my own reasons and i i admire it and i love it and it sort of it chokes me up when i see a real mm. close connection and like I say, I've not followed many people on social media, but you was always like when I when I'd get cancelled. Obviously, one of the top on the list. Yeah, obviously you've got to follow Dapper Laugh because Dapper Laughs is social media. So yeah. I've seen probably not all, but definitely a lot of your journey. And I love the, the connection between you and your dad. I love the fact that on your WhatsApp, it's still a picture of you and your dad. Yeah, like I noticed that immediately and sort of <clears throat> sort of choked up. But mm. He's still with you, and, yeah. and and you're still with him, and. If you could re, if you could rehash, which you wouldn't obviously wish on anybody, certainly not yourself. If you could rehash that trauma, that moment when he left you, I'm assuming you would deal with it differently mm. to cope with it differently. Yeah, I needed him when he part when he died. I really needed him. It was it was hard because I just I'd been cancelled and lost my TV show, my tour had been, and he'd been on this journey with me, my dad, like for 10 years, you know, he was, he, he got like my first acting pictures. I'd done like performing arts at college. He got my first black and white acting pictures done. And I, my relationship with my dad started late because my mum and dad broke up when I was like two, three years old. So we built my relation, our relationship together in my teens. So like, I really loved having a dad because I didn't have one for a while mm. and he was hilarious and he was, he was a great guy, really funny. And, um, He'd been on this journey. He was like my biggest fan before I even started doing comedy. You know, I just wanted, I wanted to be an actor. So 
him and my mum, my mum as well, used to help me get auditions and stuff like that. And then when I started doing stand-up comedy and working on the cruise ships and that, he loved it. He was like, it's happening. Do you know what I mean? And um, then slowly when I built up my social media, he was like, it's happening, it's happening, you know. You're going to get a TV show one day. Then I got the TV show and all of that. And just before he died, I fucking lost it all. And uh, it all fell to shit. And I lost all my money, lost my house, lost fucking... I was losing my mind and uh, I was drinking too much and that. But he was the only person. Everyone else around me was sort of like, oh, you're right. And, you know, fucking hell. Or people wouldn't talk to me or, you know what I mean? And he was like, yeah, but you still got a TV show. Do you know what I mean? Who the fuck give you a TV show in the first place? You're a nutter. Like, he had a great way of looking at it. He was he was sort of like, yeah, so you had it. You know what I mean? You you you, you had a tour. You sold out a tour. You know, you were doing gigs everywhere. You got millions of followers. So what? You know what I mean? He had a great way of looking at it. He was always like, he still had a TV show. Fuck it, you did it, you know? So when I spoke to him, he weren't disappointed. He just, he knew how to talk to me properly and get me back in the game. And right in the midst of it happening, it had only just started happening. I'd just done, the, um, you know, just, I think it was just before the Newsnight interview or whatever. He had a stroke and I managed to get over and see him when he passed away. I had to make the decision, unfortunately, which caused a bit of rift with some people in my family, but turning off his machine and that. And it was dark. It was a really horrible time. And um, he, when he passed away, I was angry at him, to be honest. And it, weirdly, I blamed him for his own death, even though he had a stroke. And um, What was it? Like, his lifestyle? No, I just, I don't know why. I just, he just blamed him. I just thought, you can't leave me now, sort of thing. Do you know what I mean? I needed him, mm. sort of thing. It, I don't know. My mind was gone. Grief I, does do that. Yeah. Anger, depression, sadness, yeah. loneliness, furious. Sometimes yeah. you're, you're lost. Yeah, because I was on the edge myself anyway. I was like, I didn't really, I didn't really have a place in the world. I was like, I was like, it was too embarrassing to be me. It was too dark. It was horrible. And I was like, but my old man was there and, uh, you know, and then I just, I just, once he died, I can remember when it, when he, because he had a stroke and he come round and I spoke to him when he went back under, when they were talking about like, I think it's called stemming when his, his brain or whatever was detaching from his body and they were talking about it and I knew what that meant. I just kind of, I went straight away actually out of the hospital when I got a bottle of wine from the, and looking back on it now, I went and got a bottle of wine, a big bottle of wine from the petrol station opposite the, the hospital and I fucking necked this bottle of wine um, walking back to the hospital. So I was pissed out of my head when they were, when, when they were turning the, the machine off mm. and I was fucking like all hysterical and that. And for about a year from, well, Couple of days after that, I found out my missus was pregnant and she was said that she could never have babies. And that was like another fucking, it should have been such a positive thing, but it was another where I was like, fucking, I don't want this. I don't want all of this stuff. And I kind of decided I was going to check out. Do you know what I mean? I was like, I've had enough of this. I can't handle it. So I broke up with her and, it, you know, one of the biggest regrets of my life when she talked, you know. Is Shelly your current wife? Yeah, yeah. I just said, you know, because I knew... I didn't want any, I was going to fucking top myself, I guess. And then I was like, sorry, I shouldn't say that word, but, um, and then, yeah. And, and, and that was it. That was like a massive rock bottom. And I just drank and used solidly for, for ages. And I look back on it now and it's such a painful memory. You know what I mean? But I didn't even think I had a problem then. And that went on for years. Do you know what I mean? And then I, but I, I managed to pull myself out of a real dark place. I spoke to the Samaritans one night when I was, actually suicidal and managed to talk myself around managed to get Shelly back had you planned how you was going to do it yeah yeah I was so you was that serious yeah I was um it was like thoughts in my mind which was scary enough so you know I was I was I was living above my dealer's fucking 
above my dealer in his, I was renting a room off him, um, which I thought was a good idea. Mm. And um, he had brand new white carpet in his apartment in the, in this room. He'd just done this room. He had white carpet. And I was thinking about cutting my wrists, mate. And uh, I, but I didn't want to ruin his fucking carpet. So I was like, I'll go out and walk around Clapham Common and do it out there. And when I was getting ready to go out, I was like, well, I was off me nut. I'd been on it for days. And I suddenly realised what I was thinking about, or like, I don't know if I was serious or if it was just thoughts, but I instantly got upset and didn't want to speak to me mum, didn't want to speak to me pals, didn't want to worry me pals, couldn't speak to Shelley, and that's why I rang the Samaritans. And, uh, you know, they asked me if I'd been using drugs and drinking and why I thought these things and da-da-da. I can't remember much of it, but I was on the phone for about 45 minutes and came off that feeling completely different. Still, still, yeah, still not, like, ready... Didn't think I had a problem with drinking drugs, but I had a lot. I had a newfound lust for life. They brought you out of the suicidal because there's. They say that they if the people that commit suicide, there's like a 15 minute window where you just yeah. you're thinking so irrationally, you just do it there and then. Yeah, I think if I've done a podcast recently as well on cocoethylene, which is a chemical that's created when you mix drinking drugs mm. in your body, and it's the, the podcast called "Come Downs That Kill." that there's actually a, they think that there's actually like a, almost like a psychosis that like it's called an excited delirium that because there's many men out there that have never had any mental health problems that have committed suicide on come downs, you know, where, where their mind just switches, they mm. make a decision and they can't stop it. It's like a delirium. Mm. Um, and if they'd have just managed to ride speak, it out or, or speak exactly, to the Samaritan, exactly. that moment passes. Exactly. And that was, that was a massive rock bottom for me, but I've managed to get Shelly back. I mean, so many times Shelley's stuck with me and 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 everything, and I I don't want to make this like a sob story, but and and then I slowly sort of started building my life back. So like my professional career, I built back up from then, and money and business and everything, I built back up from then. But I was still battling addiction up until well, yeah, ten months ago, eleven months. This, ago. this would be more suited to minister sobriety because yeah. what I also want to rekindle and remind people that you're a funny fucker. <laughs> yeah, like you don't sound like it. Does it? Anyone that don't know me would be like, no, "Fucking no, hell, mate!" No, exactly. You're you're warm. You're inspiring. You're motivational. Thank you. Quite handsome as well, geezer. Thanks, like. thanks. And people need to just remember that because a lot of podcasts you're talking about. I know you. I know you. This really important to you. Yeah. And I know that you're hung by the tongue because you've said, "I'm going to go sober," and by documenting it i'm committing to it on a daily basis no i like so, that term hung by the tongue yeah, yeah I, I do the same thing if you I'm, say it then you've got to do it yeah. I, i'm exactly the same I love that. If, if i'm going to start a business i'll announce it this yeah, is what yeah. i'm going to do so because i'll never lie yeah. or let anyone down yeah least of all me so i i can see like so many similarities in us yeah but i also want people to just remember where it all began not so much your childhood where you grew up not the not the typical textbook formula on a lot of podcasts but i want to know I want to get into your funny bones. Yeah, man. Because you are a fucking joy to be around. Like even 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 when like you're you're telling a sad story, you've got such a you've got such <laughs> a powerful you. energy. Thank you. That let's just remember how that energy got right deep mm. into the core of Daniel O'Reilly, who yeah. then created Dapper Laughs. Because I Dapper Laughs is a blinder. Yeah. And we can talk about the cancellation, but 
Mate, How old were you when you got into comedy? Man, I, 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 first time I ever picked up a camera and started filming myself, I was about 14, 15 years old, and I still got the videotapes. I was in a, on a family holiday in Scotland, and I, I took their family, because we suddenly realised there was nothing to film in Scotland, like for the family holidays, just all fucking, it's, it's, I don't know, I don't want to piss off Scottish people, but there weren't too much going on. We were snowed in, we couldn't film up, and I was like, give me the camera, and I was doing this like fake documentary and filming myself. This is fucking years ago, mate, like... I don't know, early 90s or mid-90s or something, and before they even had social media. And I was making jokes, and then I plugged it in with the, with the wire into the fucking big old TV, you know, where you had the cameras, you had to put a cassette in, plug it yeah, in. Yeah, old school. Yeah, old school, and let the, let the family all watch it one night, the stuff I'd, I'd made, and they were all fucking creasing up, and that was me, mate. When I, that, I, was, still, I was still at school, yeah. Addicted. I, I, yeah, addicted, year 10, year 10, something <laughs> like that. And then at school, all I wanted to do was class clown, mess around, like, I couldn't focus academically. I got ADHD and dyslexia, I couldn't sit and learn. And I love drama and stuff like that. So I knew from an early age, like before before I got expelled from school, when I was in my teens, I knew that I, I wanted to be an entertainer. And I tried, I tried, I moved out when I was 15. My mum and dad, well, my dad mum moved away. And uh, so I had to get a job as soon as I left school. And I was going to performing arts college as well. So I was working at a go-kart track and then going to performing arts college. And I was renting this place off my uncle when I was like 16, 17, early on. And then I got a job as an estate agent because I got a free car with it. And then uh, I was doing that. And then when I got to about 17, 18, I was like, fuck this. Like I was becoming good at an estate agent and I was, I was selling houses. I was, I was a car salesman for a bit as well. So I was like doing these sales jobs and I was getting good. And I, was I bet you were fucking brilliant. I was sales. making money, mate. I was making good money from a young age. Mm. Uh, but I was like, yeah, this is all right. I can do this anytime. I've got to go and have a fucking crack at being an entertainer. So I got a job over in Cyprus doing hotel entertainment. That's where I first got my first professional job. Just like doing the bingo, who wants to be a millionaire, doing game shows on the stage and that, and like water polo and that in the day. And I fucking loved it. And I started doing jokes around the game shows. And then I, over like three or four months, I was putting the jokes together into it. And then I said to the hotel owners, oh, can I go and advertise doing a show on like a Wednesday night? And then I went around the pool and said, it's my comedy show and got the audience in and then I'll do it. And then I got spotted and blown onto cruise ships and went, done the cruise ships for like five, six years, traveling around the world. And then I come back to the UK, took my money I don't set up a business, my own estate agency, started Dapper Laughs, and then I sold the estate agency when I became Dapper Laughs, and I was gone, mate. Yeah. Wow. So you've done five, six years on the cruise ships. I mean, yeah. that's a lot of pressure, isn't it? Yeah, mate. It's great. First time, two times around the world, mate. I traveled all the way around the world twice like in the first six months saw everywhere on the fucking planet doing comedy what awesome life experience that is it's brilliant because you're gonna get all different walks of life of people on there get before, to see different countries i've seen, seen i think i've been almost everywhere on the fucking planet bar a few places by the time i was 25 all through fucking telling jokes so in my mind i was like i fucking made it but i was on a cruise ship right so i was like i was like the host of the compare like the, the first person they'd see in the evening. Good evening, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to Showtime. It'll, like 2,000 people, fucking flowers and that, and dancers. I'd have my own show and introduce the other acts. But after a bit of time, I was like, yeah, everyone knows me on here, but the world's fucking massive. Mm. Like, what's the point of being the, the, the most famous person on a cruise ship? Gets me back to England. The world needs the me. The world needs did me, you, yeah. Did you write your own content back then, or was it just natural, you just quick off it the was top harder, of the cup? Yeah, it was harder on the cruise ships because it was all family-friendly stuff. You had to entertain... The, the the dads but then also the wives the kids and the grandparents so it was all innuendo stuff you know what i mean it was all cheeky yeah, you'd have you'd have struggled to crack 
track rape jokes on them ships. Like oh, that. Right, easy. <laughs> Fucking hell. Straight in. Straight in. It's me with Russell Brand at the beginning and then this. Yeah. No, you're right. Yeah, but that's part that's part of the reason why that's part of the reason why I come back because when I come back to the UK and I started doing the open mic circuit, the comedy gigs, I was still in the mindset of the cruise ships and I was dying on my ass everywhere in the comedy clubs. And I was like, fuck, it's different back here, you know. You have to be raw. You have to, you know, these are fucking, you know, people on a night out on the piss, they and the rest of the comedians were going hard. And but because I started my own business when I got back, I couldn't be myself. And also, I really wanted to push the boundaries. And it's the first time I really explored character comedy with Dapper Last because I was like, right, you know, because I was a young businessman. I was like the owner of my own business. I had many clients. But I was like, right, so I can't push it as me. I want to create this alter ego and then really push the boundaries. Do you know what I mean? Because people will know it's a character, right? It's well, you'd like to think they'd know. Exactly. And uh, stereotyping lad humour, you know, because I'm a young lad living in Clapham. And um, it was really an over-exaggerated version of, of who I was. Do you know what I mean? It was, it was, uh, it was supposed, like Ali G, do you know what I mean? At the same time, Ali G was floating about and, but, that was clear that that was a character because the, my character had the same voice and it was on a camera phone. It wasn't so clear. Yeah. Well, I knew it was a character and anybody with half a brain would know it, it was a character. But then you get people that also know damn well it's a character, but they choose to ignore that so they can be offended. Yeah, yeah. So they can target you because they're not happy with their own life and it's yeah, just yeah. so easy to try and ruin yours by doing that. But well, I'm going to talk about content in a minute and when you got cancelled. But I still want to know about the inspiration, how you become such a such a funny, entertaining human being. Like, who are you? Who are your comedy heroes? And think about the content that they would discuss. Because you're talking about lad culture. Yeah. When you talk about Mike Reed, Jimmy Jones, Jim Davidson. Yeah. Every single joke was either racist or yeah. misogynistic. It was just, yeah. but it was a joke. Yeah. So for me, for me, I, I, you know, I'm. I mean, don't get me wrong. I used to find like chubby brown stuff funny and brilliant yeah all stuff like that i mean I, I don't get me wrong but i was never inspired by those comedians i never looked at them and thought i wanted to be like them there's only one comedian that i ever looked at and and thought i fucking want to be you and that was lee evans from a young age ah. right from from when i was like 16 17 i can remember i was at a house party and everyone was drinking chasing birds and we was like the parents were out and everyone was partying and i see these dvds of lee evans and i sat looking at them and i fucking put one on and i sat there while everyone else was fucking whatever and i watched this whole lee evans dvd and i decided right then i wanted to be like him the way that he performed his comedy if you if you remember he'd do he'd t start telling you the joke and then he'd become the characters right and he'd act them out mm. so when he's talking about his wife putting her hair up he'd be like come out and be him and suddenly you're laugh suddenly you're trying your 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 mind is taken into visualizing the joke and then he could play two characters or three characters and do different voices and all this stuff and i fucking loved it i was like that's what i want to do and that's i translated what i learned from watching him in, I, onto social media I can see that as well yeah yeah. Well, I mean the energy that Lee Evans put, put yeah. into his shows I mean it, it, it swept right through multiple suits wouldn't it yeah, he yeah. would give it 110% yeah you were immersed it was like an immersive experience it wasn't like you were watching stand up comedy in the true sense of it it was it was more and he wasn't really a stand up comedian's comedian he mm. was almost ousted by the comedy mm. industry that was like oh no he's like a cruise ship entertainer almost or he's like or he's like um He's not really part of the stand in the traditional sense, but he was. I mean, he'd done his time on the circuit, but 
the performance and the acting in it, I loved. Yeah, he was next level when he. Mike Reed would just, I mean, I love Mike Reed, but yeah. he would just stand Great there. joke teller. Yeah, yeah, gag after gag after gag after gag after gag. Yeah. Lee Evans, let's turn this into a movie almost. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm the leading star of this yeah, movie yeah. and you think in stereo, so watch yeah. me work. Yeah, and that's how my mind works, the creativity on that. So like, if I take a subject that I want to talk about online, my mind goes in many different places. So I'll take it and I'll go, I can either rant on it or talk about it or write a joke on it or tweet on it, or I can create characters to discuss it, like your Jim and Steve, your kid Frankies and all that stuff. So yeah, it's just how my mind's wired, man. Your characters as well. What was your, what was your first stand-up show like? Uh, my first stand-up show, I was really young. Because that takes some... Yeah, that still takes, does now. That takes a big set of balls, I'd yeah. imagine even a hundred times down the line. Yeah. But your first... I mean, what sort of a... Oh, I'll put it to you like this, geezer. What sort of a maniac thinks, yeah, yeah. right, I'm going to stand on that stage and put a microphone in my hand and make everybody in the room laugh on repeat? Yeah, the same sort of person that spars three times a week that ain't never going to be a boxer. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> it's like, I love, I, I personally, I think I, that's the only way I feel, feel like I'm alive if I'm pushing myself out of my comfort zones. But I'll tell you what the difference is between comedians that make it and comedians that don't. The, the main difference is just who can handle dying on their ass the longest because it's inevitable. Mm. You know, the only way you find out what's funny is by going to club, comedy clubs, day in, day out, dying, dying, dying. Then someone laughs at something and you go, I'll keep that, dying, dying. Someone laughs at something else, you keep that, dying. Someone laughs at that, you think, oh, I'll elaborate on that. It's like right now I'm creating my tour for, for next year and I'm doing hour-long uh, work-in-progress shows and I just get on stage and I'm talking, you know, I've got a few things I want to say, but more or less it's like an hour, an hour and 20 minutes of, I don't know what I'm going to say. And it's just talking. And some of it works, some of it don't. But the difference is with me is I didn't give a fuck if people laughed or not from day one. I was just happy they were looking at me. <laughs> <laughs> so I was destined, man. Cause I was like, don't laugh then. You're still looking at me and I'm still a comedian. Yeah. I've still got your attention. Yeah. I'm still here. Like I can still go. The way I always thought about it, and I can trick myself into being successful with certain things, is I just used to say to myself, if I get through this gig, it don't matter if no one laughs or not, I can still say I'm a comedian. Mm, and yeah. that was enough for me. Yeah. So I was like, I come off, no one laughed. I'm like, yeah, but I'm still a comedian. I still tried it. And then one day they will laugh. It's the same with my film, my film films now. We were talking about it before. I've made many films that have gone nowhere. But one day I'll make a film that will fucking blow up and everyone on the planet will see it and then they'll look back and go, fucking hell, he was a genius for that one as well. And then that will blow up, then that will blow up, then that will blow up. That's that's what I'm saying. At least that's what's keeping me well, making it's, it. It's incredible that inner belief because I, if, if I go back to when you sat around the time where you, where you lost your dad and he would always pick you up because you had a mm. sort of a sort of a low opinion of yourself yeah. and he would remind you, you're great, don't worry about it, you gave mm. it a good shot. But now... yeah. You've just categorically told me I'm going to keep going and keep going yeah. and keep going until it sticks. Yeah, yeah. So you're like you've got some serious inner mm. belief, yeah, which is powerful. Yeah, I mean, yeah. When I when I look at my life now, and so you should, by the way. Thank you. So you should. I appreciate that. When I look at my life now, I I'm surprised. I, I look around and I go, "Fucking hell!" Like I'm lucky that I, that I managed to stay. I think the trick for me is the trick for me is I've always had low, real low times where I've been at my lowest, but I've always once I've managed to once I've managed to change my mindset 
once I've managed, like I've, 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 I've dwelled in the loners. Mm. I'm like, I'm at the bottom here, drinking, sniffing, whatever. And I've had to do, you know, the drugs have saved me before, you know, the drugs and the drink maybe might have saved me at that point. Do you know what I mean? Or brought me right to the edge, but afterwards, you know, pushing through, maybe saved me for a certain amount of time. I'm not advising anyone done it, but it got me through, you know, it was how I coped. But what I used to fucking do is I always used to think to myself, that was bad. Let's use it. That was bad. When I got cancelled, that was bad. I'll use it. So you cancelled me. All right, let me show you. My dad said, all right, let me show you. I'm going to use it. Self, self-destruct is what it is, isn't it? Yeah. But also, like, what a story. Like, I'd, I'd say to myself, yeah, all right, cool. Mm. Say no. Close the doors. But watch when I keep cracking on. I'll be back. I'll be back. Yeah. And um, Were you using drugs while you were... So you had your own TV show, didn't you? Yeah. I remember that was a, sort of like you was a pickup artist, wasn't yeah, you? Yeah, Te- yeah. Teaching, teaching lads how to, how to pick up women in pubs and clubs and that. How long did that last for? Uh, we've done six episodes on it. It was one season on ITV2, yeah. Dapper laughs on the pool. I remember that. I also thought that was great. I mean, I that, that was, was funny, yeah. just like incredible entertainment. Brilliant TV. The, the thing that pisses me off about that is all it, all it simply was, was... And this, this, this is what got me in trouble is because it was it was basically me just taking no hopers, geezers that weren't confident in themselves, sprucing them up, giving them a few jokes, sending them into a bar, giving them some confidence, telling them how to talk to women. And then it was like hidden cameras and that where they were trying to chat birds up. And then if they did, they did. If they didn't, they didn't. It was like, you know, trying to trying to turn turn lads that couldn't talk to women into men that could. And then it was called an almanac for rape culture. That's that's where the whole rape stuff started because they, the, the, one of the big news... Uh, publications called it an almanac for rape culture and i went on stage and i was like you're saying that i'm teaching men how to rape with this tv show and then i went on this big rant if i wanted to teach men how to rape and that's how Mm. i got myself in trouble but essentially it was just sprucing geezers up and telling them how to chat up girls right with comedy and what pisses me off is what the alternative to that now is naked attraction so they were saying that i was sexualizing women or blah blah whatever but now, essentially, what they're doing is just to, I was telling men to spruce up. This is how you talk to women. This is how you get confidence. Now they just say, get your cock out. Yeah. And let a woman come and have a look at it and she'll pick you by your cock or your tits, you know, or dating shows. And I just, you know, because it was fun. But one thing I do get with it is it was, it was, I had another thread of Dapper Laughs comedy running through it, which was deemed a little bit sexist. But a joke is a joke. Yeah. You didn't mean it. And people that, with half a brain cell would understand you didn't mean it. That would be the wit. That would be the, that, that's the edge. That's the, oh, that's a bit risky. I like watching him. That's the allure. Yeah. And what, what you were doing there was, I mean, I, so a couple of weeks back, I had a friend of mine, 44 years of age. So he's, he's my age. He's a virgin. Ah. Yeah. He's an incel. He doesn't want to be a virgin and he's a nice, normal guy. He's intelligent. He's articulate. He's got his own business. He's, he's in good shape. He's just lacking that thing, that confidence with the opposite sex for whatever reason. And he, he's told his story on, on this podcast. And someone like you at that time would have been so important to someone mm. like him mm. and the thousands of others of lads out there that just need that little tweak. Do mm. this. Spruce yourself It's up. very difficult. It's, sorry to interrupt No, no, you, go on. But no, it's very difficult to be a positive role model for men. It's hard, isn't it? Because all, all the big role models that have sort of immersed – they have their complete past dragged up, you know, mm. like by the time you're, cause look, let's have it right. 10 years ago, I was saying fucking stupid shit, but for laughs, right. There was no malice in it, but I was saying dumb stuff, but some stuff that might be deemed dangerous. Now I can see some of it might be deemed dangerous if people were easily influenced, right. 
But by the time you've learned how to be a man and you've made all the mistakes like I have with drink, drugs, saying stupid things, by the time you've got to nearly 40 years old where I am and you've learned all of this stuff along the way and now you want to be a positive influence on men, how easy is it for someone to just turn around and go, yeah, but do you remember what you said? Mm. Do you remember what you said? So that's why they don't, that's why men have a, a sheer lack of, of positive influence role models because the media and the press and certain people um, just will never let people learn from their mistakes, especially men. It's very difficult, you know? And it seems like they don't want men to be men anymore. They mm. want to feminize men for, for God knows what reason, because if, imagine if you have to go war, yeah. it's like, who are you going to send? Yeah. <laughs> who on earth are you going to send? The, the, the lads in their high heels, good luck. Sam Smith. Don't forget your lipstick. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Tinky winky. Yeah. That was outrageous. Yeah. But yeah, so you had your own TV show. You're now at the top of your career. Mm. In your mind, you must be thinking, wow. Yeah. Like, I'm here. I've gone from performing arts college. I've made my way through. I've dealt with dyslexia at school. And you're there. The, the, the world is watching now. And you like being watched. You like the attention. Even yeah. if you didn't make people laugh, you like to be watched. You're now being watched on people's, the, the, the thing that sits in everybody's front room in the corner. You are there. Yeah. And then you get in the Cancel. blink of an eye, yeah, it's all gone. And it's not even it's not even that it's all gone, is it all turned? You know, I went I went from being I went from people going, Congratulations, man, what you've done is amazing. You would have I was the first person to turn social media into mainstream media. Mm. To go from so I mean they even say it now. I see a lot of people going, He's the first influencer now. They say like guys now that are they're, they're great on social media and they've given them a TV show and they're like, who's the first person? I'm like, I've done it 10 years ago. Mm. I've done it before there was TikTok, you know, all of this stuff. It's still fucking MySpace and Bebo and all that jazz. But anyway, but it turned from me going, you know, being like a success story of how you can turn, turn, you know, use social media and, and just pure creativity to create, you know, you don't have to go through the conventional way of becoming a TV star. And how this great story to he's misogynistic, pro-rate, um, he's a danger to women, he must be cancelled, charities turning their back on me. I was raising money for the homeless, you know, because I said tramp in one of my jokes, charities didn't want my money, brands didn't want to work with me, you know, fucking even like down to people that work with my mum, my family, da da da, -da you know, it's, it was fucking horrific, yeah. Did you get warned that the cancellation was coming or did you wake up one morning open the There was the paper? no such thing as cancellation when it happened to me, you know? Although it was very much a cancellation, no, it was just, it? it was happening. And then afterwards it was like, yeah, he got cancelled. And then it was like, what's cancelled? And it's like, well, can you do anything? No. Mm. God, so, couldn't, I couldn't even get a job in fucking Tesco's. So what was, the, what was the first obvious observation that things were happening? ITV2 uh, pulling a plug on the show. 60,000 people because initially ITV2 and, and the and the producers were like yeah bad press is you know there's no there's no bad press bad press is good press man everyone's talking about your show mm. and, you know we kept checking in with them yeah don't worry about it no it's good the ratings on the show and the online versions are fucking flying and then it was like oh there's a petition but don't worry and then it was like mm, the petitions at 20,000 and then it was like news articles picking up and da -da 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 -da. they're talking about it on TV bang 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 then I saw on Twitter that they'd announced that they'd cancelled my TV show and they wouldn't be doing their second season. And then the world erupted with, 
you know. So you heard on Twitter that ITV weren't going to go near you again before yeah. ITV told you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So yeah. did they pull you in for a meeting? No, no, nothing. Just that's it. Nothing. Good, I don't know goodbye. if they told my management at the time, but my management had kind of my management had other. My see what happened with the trolls and not just the trolls, but. And I'll be real about this. The journalists, right? The journalists from the publications, they clearly went, right, who's his manager? Right, what's the other talent on the roster? Let's target the talent. So I won't name the names, but there was other big artists on the roster and they bombarded them, you know, the journalists. Oh, we want to get a quote from you. How do you feel about being on the same bill as uh, being with the same management as the So then all the talent turned to the manager and went, fucking hell, mate, now the pressure on us. So then the manager went, bye, Dan, you've got to go, mate. Because otherwise we're going to lose the other talent. And that happened with everything. So then the press go, right, we've done it. We got rid of his manager. Who's he worked with? Beyond Borg. I was, I was sponsored by then. This is back when I was sexy. I had a fucking boxer short deal. Beyond Borg. How do you feel sponsoring a, a comedian that thinks it's funny to joke about rape? And they went like that. That sponsor, that deal, that deal. All my professional ties, the journalists contacted them all. Then they all dropped. Then they went on my tour. What venues has he got on his tour? Right, he's in Glasgow. How do you feel about hosting... Dabble laughs. How do you feel about hosting Dabble laughs? They independently wrote to every single fucking venue I was going to. Then the tour collapsed. Then, then I owed money on that. I was sued. I was sued because of that. And then they went to my parents. You know, who my parents worked for, and they found out where they worked, and they contacted them, and they went down there. I went to my mum's place of work. Everything you could think of. Every that's, that's a heavy duty orchestrated attack. Right. And then they went to the all oh, the charity work I was doing. How do you feel about taking money from Dabble laughs after he's done this? And then the charity job. And every time something happened a charity dropped or a venue dropped, then the media would go up again. So they they target them, get them to drop me, wait till they drop me, and then they go, right, Dabalas has been dropped, and then they do an article about it. So it was like they were they were pushing for the things to cancel me. Then when they were cancelling me, they were doing the articles about it, like it was happening systematically on its own out there. Mm. Like it was an organic cancellation. Like it was an organic cancellation. Yeah, well, clearly weren't. And we're now seeing more and more of that now. Yeah. Uh, amongst those signatures, those petitions, weren't there between 20 and 30 comedians that also petitioned yeah. against you over 40 over 40 over 40 yeah yeah comedians that because the last so that's so that's yeah. outrageous yeah so yeah yeah i don't really want to talk about that because so like please oh uh, no no <laughs> because i'll tell you why you don't want to throw them under the bus do you? i don't want to throw them under the bus because i know what it feels like do you know what i mean and and some of them may have changed their opinion now since they since they signed uh those letters and uh and i kind of get that some of the stuff i said back in the day may have influenced opinion so yeah i'm going to leave leave them to it let them crack on with their careers i mean if that isn't an honorable thing to do then i, I don't know what is i mean fair but i tip me out and just have maximum respect for that because i'll be very bitter yeah i'll be very angry mm. about that and I've, i don't know if i'll be able to let that go like you have so that's yeah, sobriety mate that's more, a, more that, power to you that's what sobriety's taught me man like i only feel good about the whole cancellation thing once i sort of admitted you know, it wasn't everyone else. I still said some dumb shit. I should have been a little bit more intelligent. You know, you've got to take some responsibility. And also, you know, it, even them comedians signing that later. And, uh, You're maturing, geezer, isn't it? I guess. Yeah, I guess. <laughs> but can we at least agree that retrospectively, in hindsight, compared to hundreds of other comedians, and that's not even to mention what people talk about behind closed doors, the jokes you cracked, mm. they weren't the end of the world and they were only jokes. And when we think about people like Jimmy Carr and Frankie Boyle mm. that, will, that will joke after joke after joke about paedophilia, yeah. what you said powers into insignificance. So yeah. They're getting away with it. 
it's a class thing, mate. It's a class thing. It's, you know, it, I, I truly believe that working class comedians have got it more difficult. I mean, you've got Jimmy Carr. I don't know if he's Oxford educated or whatever he is, but Jimmy Carr is to the industry. He's, he's an intellectual. He's really intelligent. So he's clearly being ironic with the stuff that he says. I mean, he opened his Netflix special with rape jokes and yeah, said, done, exactly. done rape jokes and said, I wonder, am I going to get cancelled? You know, I never even done a rape joke. I was just, I was repeating what a woman said at the front and I was talking about what the press had called my, um, called my uh, TV show. But I think when you're working class and you do jokes that are risky, they, they don't think you're intelligent enough to be, to be ironic. They think you're being malice. Yeah. I, I think people, they choose, they decide how they want to take it to suit their own yeah. agenda. And I think, well, you were thrown right under the bus. Yeah. Extremely unfair. No one cared of the consequences or the effect it had on you. But listen, I, I, I understand when like massive platforms like ITV2 are like, do you know what? You said some stuff that we don't actually want to be associated with. We're not going to continue your show. I get that. That's fine. But in any other walk of life, right? If you're a plumber and you work for a company and you're fucking, you, you mess up a job and call, a, call one of your customers a twat, you're going to lose your job from that company, aren't you? And then you're going to go and get a job somewhere else. Mm. But I said some stuff that some of my associated brands didn't like. But they said, do not ever work again. Never work. In fact, what did they want me to do? I mean, even now, I still get some journalists and people pop and go, fucking hell, you're still about. Well, what did you think was going to happen? I was going to kill myself. Is that what you wanted? Like, what did you think was going to happen? Well, it's funny. Well, it's not funny you say that, but it leads me on because I, from how I perceive what happened to you was the the media machine become bullies how long after your cancellation did you then go on Newsnight? uh Newsnight was kind of to stop it you know it was the last i'd been dropped by my manager by then but my manager had contacted me and said you know how's things and i was like mate they're outside my house they're outside my house for fucking days papping me when i was out walking about there's hounding my family my partner and the news articles wouldn't stop and everything. And he was like, well, if you want to put a fork in it, news night want to have you on, go on and apologise and it will stop it. And because of what I was going through with my dad, I just, I, honestly, I couldn't handle it. You seemed vulnerable on that interview. Yeah. You, you seem... I, I, was, I was broken, mate. I was yeah. broken. And, and I feel like she went in and took advantage of that. Well, she's just doing her job, isn't she, as well? Like... You're doing, you're doing that whole mature thing again, isn't you? Well, no, I mean, look, I, I, I held a lot of resentment for that interview for a long time. But at the end of the day... I was easy pickings, man. I should have been more intelligent about my comedy at the time. I was easy pickings and she's just doing her job. Emily Maitlis is like, yes, this is light work, man. Look at what you said. Mm. This is easy. Oh, easy for them. It's easy work for them. You know what I mean? I should have gone on there and played another character. I should have gone on there and gone, hello, yes, this is absolutely fantastic to be here. Dapper laughs, but it's like an exaggerated, it's, it's the reason we have problems with men, you know, lad culture, and they would have gone, what the fuck, you know? Yeah, exactly like, that. I feel like they, you know, I feel like they see, they see, they, they saw the vulnerability and thought they'd kick you while you were down, yeah. and, and you could have done that, and you apologised. Yeah, but what story it makes, man, looking back on it now, who would have thought? It's who, the turtleneck that makes a story. You, you <laughs> who know would have thought I'd end up, you know what I mean? You know, I used to get in trouble at school for saying jokes and I ended up on Newsnight. To me, it's all part of the journey, man. Fuck it. Well, why do you think they come for you, though? When you've got all them other comedians saying worse stuff, why do they, why do you think they come for you? Because you're working class. Just simple as that. Nah, I think that would be... I think that would be lazy to say that. Maybe just because I was getting out of control and I was saying, I was saying 
stupid shit, you know, dangerous stuff. Some people, you know, I did have millions of young lads watching my stuff. And, you know, when I look back on it, there was some some of it that was, if, if, if the lads weren't intelligent enough to see that it was a character, see that it was a joke, that it could be... Con now that I've got two daughters, I do get some of it. But mm. I think I was a scapegoat at the time. They were like, right, this he's a poster boy for cancel culture. We can use him. He, I stood for what a lot of feminists and women and stuff like that were just trying to eradicate, you know, got, got shooting videos, going around and talking to birds and chatting birds up on the street, even though it was, they were comedy sketches. It was still like, well, look, we're trying to stop men harassing women, sexually harassing women. So I get it. I do get it. You know, there's a part of me that gets it. It was, it was, it was good to make a point of me, usually to make a point. And you're probably more of a feminist now than the actual feminists themselves, isn't you? <laughs> Wife, two daughters. Yeah. Yeah. It's you? mad. But you were sued by the National Lottery as well. Is that all tied into the same thing? <laughs> <laughs> nah, that, on, that was that was years later. That was that was for my uh, that was for a joke. That video I'd done. I don't know if you ever seen seen that video. Who wins if you win? You ever seen that video? You know, no. you know they have the adverts on TV. Who wins if you win? They's for the National Lottery, and then they'd have someone going, "Oh, if I win the lottery, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah if I win the lottery, I'm going to give my money to my mum because she's." So who wins if you win? And I just done a remake of that, a comedy film. I stood in the in a thing in front of the National Lottery thing, and I was like, "Who wins if you win?" And I was like, "If I win, my dealer's gonna, I'm gonna share it with my dealer because he's always been there for me. Twenty minutes, he'll be anywhere in the country. Do you know what I mean? And all this stuff. He's Albanian and all this. I've done loads of stuff, but I used the logo. You'd have bought him new carpets. <laughs> you can't. <laughs> yeah. So you was also you was also put in the bracket of hate speech. Yeah. That was accusing you of hate speech. That's a strong word. Hate speech is sort of when you're encouraging people to go out and commit violence. Mm -hmm. You weren't doing that, were you? I never understood it. No, I never understood that. I don't know. I was just always trying to make jokes. So I don't know how that come in. But they put you in the hate speech bracket, didn't they? I think that that's what they've got to do to get you shut down. Mm. You know, that's a technique, you know, I mean, imagine the people around me that know me. I mean, you've met me like you've met me now. Imagine what like my missus and, you know, my friends and like my family, when all of this stuff comes out on the headlines, imagine what they think they're like, Imagine what the media looks like to them. Mm. You know, but, Well, it's just, it's unfair because you've clearly got, you're clearly, Full of love. Yeah, yeah. So to be to, to, to be deemed someone that's guilty of hate speech must be like, well, come on. That's what broke me, really, you know what I mean? Because Lies. Yeah. If it was all completely honest, yeah. you know, the, like the, the, tr the truth hurts. Like, but, even you know, now, I can look back, like, I, like I'm saying to you, I can look back and go, yeah, man, I said some stupid shit. I, me, you, there'll, be, there'll be some people watching this, because this will be out in the universe forever now. Yeah. And there'll be some people that won't remember when you was doing your stand-up and the early days of your social media, and you said on repeat that you, you were saying some stupid stuff. Now, because I'm desensitised to a lot of stuff, mm. and also I distinctly remember other comedians' jokes a hell of a lot more graphic yeah, and yeah. worse and offensive, just give me a couple of examples of some of the things you said that you well, look back and think they were a bridge too far. Well, to me, I don't... It's different when I'm on when you when I'm on stage doing stand up. When I'm on stage doing stand up, I personally think anything goes right. Mm. I think that if you're in the room and you're watching a stand-up comedian, you know it's comedy, and the context is there, right? It's very easy to take part of what someone says and change the context of it, which they did to me. But for me, it was some of the videos I'm talking about. Like some of the videos I cringe at, and I think uh, I think that they would have encouraged lads in the wrong way. Like there was one where, and it's a funny joke. If you say it on stage, it's funny. But when I film myself doing it with a, a woman, like so the woman's walking down the street, and I say it to her, and when I film myself doing it, I look at that now and I'm like, well, I wouldn't want geezers to watch that and go, that's well funny. I'm going to go up to 
my daughters and say it or you know women in the street and say it and it was just one where i was like go up to a woman i say excuse me love can i smell your fanny and she's like no you can't and i'm like well it must be your fucking feet then right <laughs> when you say it it's funny but when you do when you film it visually and you're acting it out when i look back on them videos i'm like right it looks like i'm just walking up to women in the street and harassing them and it's them videos now that i look back on and i think yeah they were dangerous and they were maybe encouraging the wrong type of behavior i can take responsibility for that for the people that may not know that they're comedy sketches right so that's the stuff that i i, I look back on and i'm like yeah i don't really like that but the stuff i said during my stand-up gigs and stuff like that the context was completely taken out plus people are actually paying to come and see you they yeah. know what to expect yeah. I just think you're ex extremely honourable in the way you're dealing with it and how you're so understanding. Me personally, I don't think you've done anything wrong. Yeah. And I think your jokes, in the scheme of things, compared to some I've heard out there, no. they're quite mild. Yeah, and there's no they're, malice. They're funny, but yeah. they're, they're certainly not gratuitous and offensive. They're yeah. fucking funny. Yeah. They're, they're good yeah. jokes, aren't they? Yeah. Can I smell your fanny? <laughs> <laughs> it's like... Who gives a shit? All right, I'm bringing him back. He's back. No, I'm joking. I'm back. joking. I'm joking. Come back. <laughs> All right. So, so that's that's the sort of strength of somebody. Some of the jokes you would crack that some people would take massive offence for, and you ended up essentially losing uh, your mind, your money, everything. A, a terrible time as well as around the, the time you you lost somebody that you needed desperately. So the comeback. Yeah, this man. is now where we move to the inspirational part, the final furlong. The comeback, because most people, a lot of people, they have knock after knock after knock after knock. Before you know it, they're beat, they're on their back. They've taken the 10 count and they do not come back from that sort of fucking panel beating. You did, you have, and you're continuing to grow. Mm. So just talk to me, where, where did the comeback begin? Was it because you was also on Big Brother and I remember you got a great reception on Big Brother and I never watched that fucking program. Mm. I obviously tuned in. Ah, oh, there's Dapper on Big Brother. Yeah. Was that part of the comeback? Yeah, I mean, Big Brother, I think what Big Brother did for me, I still said some stupid shit on Big Brother, which I got sort of pulled up for, but I think the difference was with anyone that watched it that may have seen what the press had written about me before, once they watched me on there, they looked on screen and suddenly they realised, oh, he's not dangerous, he's not malice, he's just a twat. Do you know what I mean? He's just a knobhead. Like, do you know what I mean? Like, the stuff that I say, which if you see it in written form, you know, like there was there was a comment about that they pulled up about Anne Whittacombe, I think, because they were talking. I was in there with Anne Whittacombe, and uh, I'll give you an example. And I think she, they were saying she's a virgin, right? And um, and uh, you know, she was having a go at the other people in the house because they were, you know, flirting and kissing and stuff, and she didn't want any public displays of affection. And I got drunk. <laughs> and I got drunk, and I was like, "Look, she's a politician. Come on, someone's blagged her in there sucking a dick one day. Do you know what I mean?" Mm. And I was just like messing around, saying this stuff, saying that politicians are all kind of sordid and da, da 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 and that in written form in the newspaper sounds bad but when you watch it and you see like the context of like we're in there we're saying it and my relationship with Anne was great and you know I didn't hide those kind of jokes from being in front of her you could see oh, look he's just a knobhead that says stuff that maybe you shouldn't you know what I mean it's, or, or says too much but there's no malice in it he's not out there evil fucking trying to spread Nah. Fucking misogyny and, and, and sexism and rape culture. Do you know what I mean? I'm just, I'm just a man. And, and also, flip it over. How would a lot of women feel if they were no longer allowed to suck dicks? <laughs> yeah, exactly. 99.9% <laughs> yeah. 9 of females out there have sucked a dick at one stage or another. And the chances are they thoroughly enjoyed it. Yeah. But you're not allowed to joke about it because it's a little bit close to the mark. Like, yeah. what fucking mark? Yeah. The nutsack? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like, no, you've got to be. But, and, and to me, it was like, 
I think Big Brother sort of showed people that there was no malice in it. I was just a bit of a knobhead, very immature. Do you know what I mean? I didn't really care. Um, and after that, so I don't think it really springboarded my career. It gave me money, so it springboarded my business. I come out of a lump that I'd started investing and doing bits with. But um, from a career perspective, I come out of that and I just thought, you know, part of me was like, am I going to blow back up on TV or what's going to happen? And then when I put TV to bed, I was like, do you know what? Focus on on focus on what you have, which was my social media following, the people that cared, right? Because I'd kind of thrown my following under the bus by apologising. Do you know what I mean? So were you a lot of your followers disappointed that you apologised? Yeah, because like because anyone that knew knew me or followed my journey on social media knew that I was just a knob, right? That I wasn't malice, right? So when I went on Newsnight and kind of went, I'm so sorry and I don't stand for this and da 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 da, you know, because I'd just taken a fucking beating. A lot of people were like, mate, we were backing you, man. Like, do you know what I mean? We had your back. We know that you're not bad why have you done that so i went through this weird stage of not even being able to use my social media because when i was posting stuff i was getting a lot of flack it was all negativity so when i come out of big brother i was like right i'm gonna go back to what's important which is the people that have stuck by me the followers and then i just nurtured that and i just i was just honest you know through what i went through with my dad i was talking about that talking about everything and then slowly i got the confidence back to to do comedy and then my mind just started fucking once the confidence come back where i kind of i was like Mm. fuck tv fuck the mainstream media fuck everyone else's opinion on me i'm going to focus on here what i've got the people i'm just going to focus on the people that like my shit that's when my mind went comedy and then i was off again did frankie fucking jim and steve fucking sesh gremlin fucking you know i had another one the game i don't know if you ever saw him squadron leader yes fucking, he, like, he, he was he was like one of my did first he had, he had the wide mouth yeah, 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 yeah. Like all of these characters. Once, once I'd s submit it, like it's a weird thing. Once I'd, what's the word? Let go. Once I'd let go of that that TV career and everything. Once I let go of my ego, it was my ego that was whole. Once I kind of let go of it and just been like, fuck it, let's get back to fucking being funny and just enjoyed the following that I had and focused on them. Then that started growing, and then and then I was free again. But still, it's only taken it still took 10 years or or eight years maybe to get to the point now where the, the the mainstream media and stuff like that are actually like oh he's all right you know i had an email from this morning actually this morning saying will you come on and talk about like suicide prevention and da -da -da and all of this stuff never in a million years would they have had me on for a voice of, of something do you know what i mean and i just wrote back as long as philip schofield ain't it nothing <laughs> no but I, but you know so, so yeah, it's taken a long time. If he is, I'll bring my nephew. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah. It wouldn't surprise me if the main, if it went full circle and the mainstream media contacted you and say, look, we love your characters. Can we make like a, like a, yeah. a, a Bo Selector series? Mm. I mean, cause some of your characters you come up with, I mean, fucking hell. I mean, Kid Frankie. Yeah, it's brilliant. That it? is unbelievable. Mm. Like, who's your favorite character? My favourite character is Sesh Gremlin because he's real. Yeah. Because he's in yeah, that, my that mind. That isn't actually a joke. Yeah. Because, <laughs> you know, for a long time, for a long time, because mm. I was still Session on a Friday when he'd appear. Hello, you little sausage. What do you want to do tonight? <laughs> you know? And the missus would be baking the cake with some flour or something. And he'd be like, that is some flour. It's cocaine. Sprinkle it on her boobs. And I used to get my missus involved to do it and all that. That was shit that was actually going on inside my head every fucking, every time it come close to the weekend. So all the characters, they do stem from reality. Mm. Uh, so Seth Gremlin was so real to me and poignant. And when I, I don't know whether to do him anymore, but when I, when I look back and watch it, it's my addiction. He symbolizes my addiction. So I've got a lot of love for the Seth Gremlin. Are you thinking about bring, uh, drawing him to an end? I just don't know how I feel about doing him with 
you know, it's a bit raw, you know, because people need raw it's reality, and, and, though, and, isn't it? and people people need a slice of reality. And also, I'm beating him now, whereas before I. I've, that's yeah. what you do then yeah because well, it has changed. changed the content it has changed because before I was sniffing the line at the end of the video and getting a slap mm. now at the end of the video I'm like nah nah that was a close shave because he is very real there's still times when I'm fucking triggered mate where I'm like I want to get off me nut still yeah man yeah occasionally yeah the cess criminal is, is and anyone that has been in their life they will understand that sketch they'll be relating to that yeah like every single last word of it <laughs> yeah, when that's yeah. like yeah shit in fact that'll probably that's how, even more that's how I, that's how i can tell i can tell the kind of person someone is if, if they're at one of my gigs or if they come up to me i can tell who they are by what they what, what character they like. they like yeah if they come up and say they love kid frankie i can tell they were a bit naughty at school or something if they come up and say they like jim and steve then i know that they're into their like political satire if they come up and say they like the sesh gremlin i know they're a wrong one <laughs> How many people come up to you and like that geezer down the alley that was always offering to suck your dick? <laughs> 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 With the fucking crazy eyes. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I don't know where that one come from. Do you know where that is? I lived in Spain and I used to get so... I used to I thought walk... that was lucky, didn't he? Yeah, I, I, I used to... I, do you know what? I create these fucking worlds in my mind. Like, yeah. my mind's a wild place. And when I used to walk the dogs, I used to walk down this long alley uh, in Spain because I, I had a villa over there while they were doing my gaff. And I was walking down this alley and I used to just... I don't know why I used to think, mate, imagine if this alley was called Blowjob Alley and every time you walked down here, geezers were trying to suck you off and you just had to get through it. And, uh, and not, not women, geezers. Yeah, yeah I know, because I just thought it would be funnier. <laughs> so it's a load of Spanish geezers and different things trying to suck me off. And I'm like, nah, nah, nah. So yeah, that, that, that was weird. It's weird, actually, when, when you look back and think, where did that come from? <laughs> and also, not just where, where, where did it come from, look, look what it's become. Yeah. You know, you didn't even rattle that one off and I've remembered it. Yeah, yeah. That was one of the characters like, yeah, what about that one there down the old blowjob alley? Yeah. Um, you're also a very shrewd businessman. Yeah. And I watched one of your podcasts, I think it was Rob Moore, and I'd never seen, I'd never seen that side of you before. I obviously knew by the fact that you've got a massive, great big house now, mm. lovely car, family look like they're well-fed, well-kept. So I can, I can tell that you're obviously doing something right. Mm. But you never, you never really showed your hand. Like, well, this is how I'm doing this. This was, this was one of my businesses, and I folded that. And uh, so, yeah, I was really intrigued by that, and really, well, I was motivated and again inspired. And it's another little thing that if people are listening to this one and they've heard about the comedy, the cancellation, the trauma, the drugs, the drink, it's like, let's not forget. Yeah, you're also a very clever individual, and you're a shrewd businessman. Yeah. So I was going to ask, how did you, you know, how have you managed to monetize all the things that you've done? I think originally. Um a lot of people made money out of me early on and uh you know i could see how they were making money out of me you know b different brands different businesses come in and monetizing my audience so they you know early on people come to me with ideas and um saying you know we're a company that does this can you promote it and we give you x amount we're a company that does this and essentially i worked out from 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 um from an early stage that that my demographics, you know, the things they buy, right. And the things that they're into and the things that potentially I could uh, sell to them, um, or advertise or be the ambassador for or promote and stuff like that. And just along to, to simplify it in the best way, a little while ago, I stopped taking money off them and started taking percentages of their business instead. So saying to, yeah, just saying, yeah, if you want, if you want to do a deal with me, uh, I'll do it, but I want a percentage of your company instead. And we'll do a longer term deal. So once my promotion was over and I'd grown their business, I'd get paid for it for the rest of my life. And I managed to do that with a few companies. And then the companies that wouldn't do it with me, I just started them companies. So I let other people come to me with the ideas. And then 
either spun them on their head. He spun them on their head. Either took parts of their idea, or if they didn't want to do business with me, took the idea and, and done it with myself. I mean, there's other things as well, you know, stuff I've come up with myself and traditional style businesses. Like I've got a nightclub and a film production company and stuff like that. But essentially, it was um, just just taking pieces of businesses, you know, look, thinking longer term. So when you so your your lager company, yeah. for example, did they approach you? You spun it on the on the head, or did you think of that yourself? Because that's, uh, that's one of the ones that you've dropped, isn't it? Yeah. Well, that that one, that one. No, a friend of mine, uh, a friend, a good power of mine, Gypsy Lee's a, a, a gypsy lad, really nice lad. He come to me with an idea to um, do a beer, do a beer, and uh, at the time I was heavy into my drinking it made sense all my, up your street yeah all my content was about drinking and um together we kind of came up with a concept of because it was lockdown and we made so much money through lockdown from it because it was a barrel right no one could get to the pub so we originally were going to do a beer then we found these kegs and we found a brewery and it was a barrel and then we were going to call it last beer and then i'll come up with a marketing bit at the end right at the end barrel of laughs and it just fucking come together and it was like look people can't get down the pub Let's sell it to them so they can have, have a drink at home. And um, we built up the marketing really well by building up mailing lists and all of that jazz and creating the fear of missing out. And we we sold a lot of sold a lot of them. But when I went on my sobriety journey, I, I can't you know I, I morally I I couldn't represent an alcohol brand or sell a re- alcohol brand, which was heartbreaking because it was one of the businesses that was doing quite well. And also I was tied into it with my pal. So when I stopped, he had to stop. So, but luckily Lee, thank you. He's very understanding. And he moved on to the next thing. And, and, uh, and, and that was, that was that done. You've got to prioritize your principles in life. And yeah, that's what gets you to sleep at night. Well, my, I believe in karma, mate. I believe, mm, I believe in karma. So, you know, I can't, I can't. And plus, and plus suddenly seeing the predicament I was in, you know, I didn't feel right selling alcohol. And how could I talk about sobriety and sell alcohol? Do you know what I mean? You can't always pick money, man. Like, do you know what I mean? No. Nah. And I'm confident enough to know that I can make money if, if you know, if times are hard or, you know, I'm an ideas man. You know what I mean? And mo- I'm motivated, so. You flip properties as well, don't you? Yeah, bit of property, lo- you know, villas, loads of bits and bobs. Anything, anything that makes sense and makes money, I'll have a crack at it, yeah. So moving on from the business side of stuff, which I've got to say is – it's impressive and there's other other bits and pieces that obviously we haven't got all day to, to go through but you've you've done all this in amongst all the trauma and, yeah. the, and the ups and downs and what people have to remember is you're only 11 months sober yeah so you've managed to do all this like in the in the midst of madness in the yeah. eye of the storm you still yeah. managed to fight your way through and and build these businesses to provide for your family which is which is which is mega impressive but yeah. How more productive are you now than you, mate, you were? Yeah, I mean, 10x? Fucking hell, mate. It's like I built all them businesses and made all that money on my ass where, where my reputation was fucked and I was off me nuts 25, 30% of the time. So now I'm a different beast. With ADHD? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, We've, a lot of people have a lot of people yeah. now. See, when I was at school, there was no. I didn't know mm. the word ADHD. Di- I'm not being diagnosed, but I fucking know yeah. I've got yeah. it. It's when you've got a million, a million ideas or thoughts or things that you want to do and you can't pick, or you pick the wrong one, or halfway through doing something, you start doing something else. It's a superpower if you can focus on the right things, mate. Superpower, mm. totally, totally agree. But it's also a nightmare if if you can't manage your thoughts, and that's that's where, where all my my fitness comes in. It's about managing managing your thoughts, but. 
to me, I was fucking, I was like, well, my comedy director says I'm like an Olympic swimmer without a lane. I'm fucking like that. I'm fucking all over the place. <laughs> with, 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 with my comedy business, you that know. That is a fucking great analogy. So if some so now the difference the difference with me now is before I was I was building these businesses, marketing them or you know, coming up with business deals, trying to get things done, da da. I was doing all of that shit all fucking over the place. Now I'm like I have a team that I've now, you know, I've got people underneath me that manage my different that I pay to manage my different businesses, different industries. Mm. So, and I have a personal assistant that that bridges the gap between me and them. So, filters all of them come to me, so I can be creative and I can power the businesses with my social media or with my, with my ideas and stuff like that. Whereas before, all of these businesses and all of my partners and all of the companies all had access to me directly mm. while I was trying to fucking do comedy, and it was like fucking yeah, okay, let's do that, let's do that. Now it's like it's they're all streamlined and managed, so my productivity is like. You're lucky you didn't burn out. Yeah. You well, I did. Well, I, well, I did. I did. I did. Mm. I did. That's a, that's a lot to take on. That's a lot to juggle. And you spoke about managing your thoughts. Yeah. Like ADHD is a monster if you can't manage your thoughts. Just just remind me what you what you do to get yourself. Because a lot of people with ADHD they'll struggle to get off to sleep, mm. and if they wake up in the middle of the night, they're yeah. awake. So you do something that that keeps your thoughts in check that allows you to sleep better, didn't you? Yeah, we spoke about this before. For me, I'm very aware of negative thought loops in my mind. Uh, it's like when your mind gets into thinking about something repetitively. It could be anything. You know, people could wind themselves up about their missus cheating. Boom, 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 boom. But it happens in tiny little ways about things you've got to do. You know, tomorrow I've got to pay the council tax or I'll fucking da-da-da-da. I've got to do this. Remember to bring that. And when you've got fucking millions of things going on in your life, all these little thought loops are going around your fucking mind and you can't quieten them down. And what it is is your brain going, don't forget, don't forget your subconscious. Don't forget, you've got to do this. Or when you mix into that shit that's going wrong, oh, no, that's going to happen. Oh, no, that's going to happen. Oh, no. All negative thought loops. And in the morning, obviously, with my fitness and everything like that, I rid myself of anxiety by doing my boxing, which calms the thinking down, which I can manage throughout the day. But before bed, every night, and I've been doing it for a long time, I sit at my desk and I write absolutely everything I can fucking think that I'm thinking about. Everything I can think of that I'm thinking about. So what I've got to do, problems I've got, so-and-so hasn't called me back, doesn't he like me anymore? What's going on with that? You know, I'll fucking write that shit out like a wet wipe. Every <laughs> tiny little... Tom, Dick and Harry that might have a fucking problem or something I've done wrong. Every to-do, everything I've got to do every night, I write it out. Well, I'm going to, I'll tell you what I do. And I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to take that advice and I'm going to use it from this evening. So with me, the whole dozen concept, every week I write, well, every week I write 12 things I'm grateful for. Yeah. And then I write 12 big things I've got to do in the week. And then daily I write 12 little things I've got to do within the day. Yeah, yeah, nice. But what I do is I do everything first thing in the morning. Yeah. So maybe I'm going to bed still thinking about it. I'm not worrying, but yeah. I'm thinking. Well, so maybe do it at night time. Well, the point is with it is when you write something down, your, your, eye, your eye sees it, right? Mm. And your mind thinks it's told you. So it's like, it's weird. You write it down and you look at it and you read it and you go, right, I've said it, I've done it. It's like, you've done it. So your mind goes, oh, I'll stop telling them about that. 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 Because your subconscious mind is fucking talking to you constantly. Yeah. It's reminding you. So I, it just works for me because honestly, I walk up them stairs. By the time I get up the top of the stairs, I leave my fucking phone somewhere. When I lie down in bed, the wife starts. No, when I lie down in bed, it's like, shh. I'm going to try, well, I'll tell you what I'm going to do, and you've, I'll commit to it. 
every night I'm going to get a second notepad because I'm going to start yeah. plugging these out soon, the, the dozen pads with all my little bits and pieces in there that I know will help people. I'm going to get a separate notepad for my bedside table. Mm. And before I go to bed, I'm going to write a dozen thoughts. Yeah, That's the new thing from today inspired Try by it. you. And I'll let you know how that goes. I like that. Yeah. And it, yeah, and it must be as you're so creative as well and you've got your tour coming up ideas so you're, so you're yeah. probably caught to think about sketches ideas yeah. jokes gags little bits and yeah. pieces so it just must be just must be 10x off the chart yeah. your your thought process yeah it's a lot of work i've got to do on my mind i've got i've got to spend a certain amount of time a day writing as well writing comedy and also i've got to um rid my mind of ideas straight away so if an idea comes in I'm terrible for it. I have to say, just give me a second to people because otherwise it'll do my fucking nut and mm. I won't be listening to what you're saying and I'll have to leave myself a voice note. You're thinking about sketches, you're thinking about new gags, especially when you've got a tour coming up and your tour's coming up pretty soon, isn't it, in the scheme of things? Yeah, yeah. Talk yeah. to me about that, geezer. Mate, there's, it's fucking crazy writing a tour and uh, putting a show together and um, for me, it was like, do you know what the mad thing is? The first, like, everything has come together like through sobriety it is mental and i don't just mean older oh, sobriety is giving me good karma and nice things have happened i mean through the sobriety i'm back right it's like when when um i went finally went like sober this time i said to myself do you know what i need the good karma right so half my time i'm going to dedicate to myself making money and making my profile bigger and doing comedy and what i want out of life yeah and the other half of the time i'm going to share this journey as embarrassing and uh, as bad as it's been, I'm going to share it because I know it can help people, right? And through that, when I started my podcast, the producer of my podcast, I went in, sat down, started doing my podcast. He worked at GB News and he was like, mate, I'd love to get you on GB News. And I was like, well, I don't know about GB News, but do you know what? It's a bit of TV. Fuck it. I didn't give a shit at the time. I went on and started doing their headliners on GB News. And through doing headliners, the geezer that owns Bound and Gagged Comedy, which is a... um comedy promotions company because when i used to go out and try and do gigs over the last 10 years their little venues wouldn't take me because they were worried the press well they did i tried to get a few gigs and the press saw they were flaring up and contacted the venues and got them cancelled so going out to all the local towns the small venues it ain't worth it financially for them to take the risk on me so i could only do gigs over the last 10 years if it was like the troxy you know two and a half thousand people and they wanted like fucking 20 grand or something i'll pay it up front off the back that I'd sell the tickets. And if I didn't, they were paid anyway. They didn't give a shit, right? Yeah. And if they pulled the plug, they had their money. So I could never get the, never get the tours. And about five years ago, I contacted this geezer, Bound and Gag Comedy, and said, I want, I'm back five years ago. Bound and Gagged. Bound and Gagged, yeah. I know. But I'm, ba I'm back. I said, I'm back about five years ago. I mean, I wasn't. I was still a mess. I was drunk. Fucking still off me nothing. But I said, I'm back. I want to do an Edinburgh show. And he was like, no way, man. The comedy industry don't want you. You know, they don't want you now. He, he's, he's good at sensing the time. So he's like, you just get annihilated if you're back now, if you try and do it. Plus my reputation on the line, I can't do it. He saw me on GB News, thought I was really funny, done a bit of research, saw what I was doing with the sobriety and everything. And then he phoned me. I hadn't spoken to him in five years. He said, mate, I'm just looking at your journey, everything you've done. I want to do a fucking tour and I want to do it big. And I was like, mate, I've been waiting for this phone call for fucking 10 years, mate. Are you sure? And he's like, yeah, let's do it. Because 10 years ago, in January was a, was when my tour was cancelled, right? It's taken me that long to just get... People don't realise for a stand-up comedian what it's like not to tour when you've got millions of fans. Do you know what I mean? It's yeah. like, it's like you know, you could do it in London, but you can only do a couple of dates. It's like... It's almost like you're bound and gagged. Yeah, it is. <laughs> but he was like, do you think you'll sell it? And I'm like, yes, man, I do. I, it's not like I will. 
And then slowly he was going around to the venues and they were saying, some of them were saying, yeah, he was coming back to me. He's going, so-and-so won't have you. These will have you. Those won't have you. But he started getting really pissed off with the venues, you know, because they were having other comedians on that had said worse, you know, a lot. Of, and he actually went, he, he said, nah, fuck this. He said, bollocks, no one's saying no. So he went back to him and said, well, if you don't take him, I won't put so-and-so in. And how come you're taking him when you got Louis C.K.? Louis C.K., who was, you know, wanking off in front of girls and, and actually got done for it. You're taking him, but you won't take him who said a joke from you. And he really put it on him. Beautiful. And then he, and he said to him as well, so, all right, cool, we're going to do a press release saying to your local area why you won't have him. What's your, what's your words on that? And they were going, all right, fuck it. So he blagged them all into it. That, but, that is brilliant. Yeah, yeah. So see, how, see how you like it. Yeah, so I had someone fight in my corner finally. And um, 30 dates later, he was, he was worried about releasing it and putting it out and what the press would say and if everyone would pick up on it. But when we dropped it, a few media outlets were like, he's back on tour, he's back. You know, and I was like, am I back? That's fucking great. And then a couple of people kicked up a fuss and then uh, a, a few major like comedy newspapers and like online publications came out and went, fucking hell, it's 10 years, man. Mm. Like, do you know what I mean? And then I suddenly felt like, oh man, like I'm, they're, they're backing me. And then I was like, right, I'm back. So it really has been amazing, man. So I'm writing it in a way that I've never written before because I'm sober. I'm testing the material and out doing more gigs than I've ever done before. And I've sold 10,000 tickets to it already. Unreal. Well, it's not unreal. I, I totally believe it because A, you deserve it. And it sort of seems to me standard. Yeah. You've been around, you're a household name. You've been around for so long, despite the mainstream's attempts to silence mm. you and deplatform you. You've still, uh, when you said I've been waiting for that phone call for 10 years, I'd say you've been working at that yeah, phone yeah. for 10 years. Yeah, I mean, like, because I'm, I'm a firm believer of I'll just do what I, I, I was in the mindset, I'll do whatever I want anyway. If I want to make films, I'll make films. If no one's going to, if no one's going to give me roles in films, then I'll make my own fucking films. If no one's going to give me shows, then I'm going to rent out the O2. I'm going to rent out the fucking trucks. I'm going to do my own shows. You know, if no one's going to put me on TV, I'm going to make my own channel. Do you know what I mean? But one thing I couldn't do was the tour. I couldn't force it. I couldn't in the, I couldn't go around myself and, you know, say, I couldn't backdoor it. I couldn't buy my way into it. It was the only thing that I couldn't. God, if you was to, uh, if you was to look up the word relentless in the dictionary, you wouldn't be too surprised if there was a picture of you. <laughs> Which is, uh, re relentless is yeah. what you've been, irrespective yeah. of, of what's been put in your way. Relentlessness. And yeah. that's a, that's a wicked message to, to send out. You know, doesn't matter how many times you get put against the ropes now, how many knockbacks you get. Door-to-door -door sales people, you know, it's got nothing to do with a 99 no's. Take yeah. them. It's about a one yes. Yeah, yeah. And that's, uh, it seems to me like that's what you've done. You've yeah. not let anything get in your way and you've just persisted. What do you think has been your driving force? The no's. The no's. Yeah, mate. I think, I think you're set up if, if, if you look at the, the setbacks as the motivation. And, you know, I love it when, I love it when I get, get people saying, you won't do that or that's not going to happen or, you know, I recently had it with a distribution company with my films. You know, there was a, 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 a I won't say too much, but there was a woman in there that said, "Go on, Dan. No, we'd never work with you. You know, <laughs> we're never, we're never da da da." And then her boss was like, "I fucking love him." And if you were, uh, oh mate, fucking anyone that read that any anybody that digs deeper than the, than the headline, they are gonna love you. Some people are just naturally lovable. So you've got that in abundance. You've got that on your side. And no lie or nonsense that's printed about you could ever take that away from you. Mm. And if you ever loop back into that self-doubt or, you know, low self-belief, but you've got to remember that. Like, you're an extremely lovable, smart guy. Right. And these fucking people, these things are put out there. They're set to test us. 
Mm. And no one likes to see other people happy. Really, they they do as long as you're just behind them. No one really likes yeah. that. Yeah, and I yeah. think now what's coming through, certainly on your social media, I'm trying to do the same, like this crazy manosphere. I think men need to encourage other men. Yeah, I think a massive part of it is accountability. Like just saying to men, for me, a big one is like, a big, a big, a big thing is like, you know, just look at, look at what you've done. Look at what you're doing. Learn from what you've done wrong. Cause us men fucking get it wrong. Right. We get it wrong all the time. Mm. And I think like embrace that. Like, and have a bit of fun getting it yeah, wrong. Yeah, mate. My, my identity now is being an ex fucking seshed in it. And I'm mm. like, yeah. And there's no fucking, you know, so what? And, and I, and I know I hate it when people say, I want to break the stigma of this. I want to reduce the stigma of that. Cause it's such a cliche thing to say, but the truth is, so many lads would be saved and and mm. and helped and especially saved from suicide if there isn't a stigma around addiction if it wasn't looked at like i'm an addict i'm uh, you know i failed at life and i'm an addict it's like oh, i got caught up in active addiction because i was pushing it too far i want to sort that out i want to better myself mm. it's just as simple as that yeah there's no shame in it and i think nowadays i don't know anyone that doesn't know someone that's overdoing it over yeah. drinking too much sniffing too much everyone in fact oh, there was, a, there was a stage where I was going out and about and networking and mingling in all sorts of circles as well, mm. all kinds of circles. We're not just talking like, because I'm from council like you. Mm. I'm not talking like all my council house mates. Yeah. I'm talking about my professional corporate mates, uh, some that work in the legal system, some highbrow characters. You was the odd one out if you weren't doing cocaine Everyone does and getting it. pissed out your head. There's, there's traces mm. of it in Parliament. Yeah, mate. So everyone's at it. Mate. So, yeah, don't uh, certainly don't feel ashamed of yourself. No, I mean, like... Be look, disappointed if you're not tackling it. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, look... If it's, it's just, fucking your life up. Yeah, I mean, don't be afraid to look on the other side, man, like, to reevaluate your relationship with alcohol and, and drugs. That's the word. It tricks us. It tricks us. Drink and drugs trick us. We still romanticise it. Oh, I only do it like this with mm. that. But really, how do you do it? Because mm. when I was using it at the end, I wasn't, I wasn't using it the way I first started using it. When I first started using it, it was fun. By the time I got to the end... It won't fun. It's a funny old game. I know we're, we're sort of, we, we've started on sobriety. And we're back at, yeah. And we're now, well, it's a nice way to round it off. Yeah. I was going to ask you if, you, if, you've, if you've toned your content down for your tour. But, but yeah, no. Um, look, uh, I'm just more intelligent with it, with the delivery. But it, it, I mean, yeah, it's still. Still just a saucy. It's still naughty. Good. Yeah, <laughs> fucking good as well, yeah. mate. Yeah, you still got to be true to like. Get your tour tickets because you there never you know when it's going to be the fucking last one. That's the truth. You never know, yeah. you know. But yeah, man, nah, I'm still, I'm still me. I still find, mate. Listen, if if you ain't laughing half shocked, it ain't funny. Shock factor's nice. Yeah, yeah, shock factor is nice. It's nice to listen to somebody that's saying stuff that you think, but you haven't actually got the bottle to say it out of fear of judgment. Yeah, and I feel when like you, you hear someone else say it, you think, ah, oh, it's yeah, all right. You don't go to a comedy club to hear to hear what people are saying. In general, do you? Nah. You go to a comedy club to to get a different perspective on something and a harder perspective. That's what I believe comedy is. You know, it's a voice outside of the outside of the box that's meant to poke fun at tragedy. You know, yeah, totally. And what? So, what dates can people expect to hear your voice again? Right. What are the tour dates? It's from the beginning of January for five months. It runs. So, and wow. so how many dates you got? Thirty. Thirty. 30. 30 dates and what areas you're covering all oh, of the uk mate, everywhere yeah everywhere and they'll be oh, i've got a feeling they're going to add more now because doing so well yeah Ten thousand tickets you sold yeah another 10 to go 
So you're halfway there. Yeah. And we've got what we, what was September? Yeah, I, I never buy a saint that's going, I never buy tickets for saint that's going on next year unless the person's proper funny. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so get your fucking tickets now. Yeah. Geezer. Thank but you. We're going to wrap that there because that's a nice, that's a nice finisher. Minister Sobriety, make sure you go and like and subscribe. Yeah. to that channel it will help if it doesn't help you it will help you understand somebody that does perhaps need that help and also get behind dan get a thank ticket you. get a ticket for that fucking tour i know i am thank it, you he'll probably give me one because yeah yeah you'll get one we're mates now yeah but uh keep inspiring thank you my brother. keep shining brother. thank you man thanks for having me on man yeah like, that's, that's fun your, your fucking passion radiates man i love that i've loved like-minded it. yeah same like-minded yeah, me, you, me you and chazza except for me and you're a little bit like <laughs> We can spell and shit. I fucking love him. <laughs> <laughs> Cheers, Giza. Thank you.